Hello and welcome to our 50th episode of Kohler <laughs> Commentary. Wow, congratulations. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> I thought it would be special to celebrate a 50 by bringing in our OG <laughs> co-host from Enjoy the Wander, Juan Healy. I completely Hello. forgot you guys were, <laughs> we were doing this together duo. before. Yeah. We were the OG hosts. Yeah, yes. that's right. But yeah, welcome Juan Healy. Thank you. It's nice to be back. It's been a long time. Yeah. How do you feel being the guest for the 50th episode? I had no idea this was 50. I know. I thought I'd surprise <laughs> yeah, you by I'm, saying it on the pod. I feel a lot more pressure now. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I need to say wise and insightful things yes so Moni is visiting us from houston for a couple nights and it's been nice to just feel like old days old days one he has been kind of like the only friend not the only but one of the few friends that have seen matt and i from pretty much the beginning of our relationship until now with two kids i thought you're gonna say one of the few friends that we have period (laughs) Like, I think no, we're, you guys have lots of yeah. friends. No, I, what do you mean? That, well, that wouldn't really make sense because we have a lot of friends we love. Yeah, yeah. But he has a special place in our heart because of his role and um, the many fights he has instigated. Instigated? <laughs> Inst- that's true. Instigated, observed, yeah. been a bystander too. Right. Yeah. In fairness, the way you instigate is by asking us, oh, how did y'all meet? Yeah. <laughs> or, very, oh, very innocent questions. How did questions. y'all start dating? <laughs> very innocent <laughs> questions. Like questions that anyone can normally ask. Oh, I still remember that dinner in yeah. front of Myeongdong. <laughs> I will say, though, I remember I asked the question and then it started getting a little tense. And then Angie was like, let's talk about this later because it's going to lead to yes. some awkwardness. I was like, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but it, the thing is, you were worse. supposed to come over after to play games. Yeah, oh, I remember so, like none of this. Yeah. And so we fought, but I was like, we're going to get over this and we're going to play games. with <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, anyways, we digress. Um, Today's main topics will be about mental health. We have Dr. Matt Kohler. Yeah, I'm here as my professional self today. He is actually our featured guest. And then Wanhee is joining me as a host as we ask Matt just about his year being an official attending. Is Is it an attending if it's like... I don't actually know. I think an attending is usually like a... At a like hospital? A, yeah, like a trainer, right. like a doctor. An official of, physician you know. with making the big money, honey, every 15th and 30th. I'm like, ooh la la, I'm married. <laughs> a doctor, <laughs> not no resident. <laughs> um, and then it goes straight to your loans and our house. Mm, sexy. Yep, yeah. real quick. yeah, but I think it would be nice. You know, I have um, had several episodes just about mental health in a different lens of perspectives and also now you have had a year under your belt um one and i love to have this conversation as well and we've had our own kind of journeys within what that looks like and so i think it would just be an overall theme of today as well as we're ending the year 2023 and if there's any reflections or questions we like to ask each other because now our friendship is more distanced and yeah all right well let's go straight into it dr kohler are you ready sure so you have been a practitioner for over a year and I would just love to kind of hear one what is your specialty who do you kind of work with or see and how has that how has this year been for you so far well I'm a psychiatrist so that's the the MD version of the mental health world I would say more than half the people think I'm a psychologist yeah but that's the the other one. I'm kind of surprised how many people get that confused. I don't know if I knew before med school even. <laughs> oh, really? I don't know. I was very like out of this. My whole field came randomly. This was never a mm. thing I was passionate about. So like my understanding of psychologists has always just been an assumption that like psychologists are the ones who go to universities and they're like the PhDs. And then you as a psychiatrist obviously went the medical route. And so a big differentiation is that you prescribe medication. Yeah. Is that the only difference? <laughs> <laughs> so we, we he just gives out drugs. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, kind of. My, my residency had a more therapy-focused training than most. Most are even more just like medication-focused. Mm. Um, mm. Baylor has it 
pretty good emphasis it's one of its like draws i think for a lot of people so i i dabbled in it i i do not like what psychologists do or therapists do is very impressive it's very hard to hold an intentional conversation for an hour Mm -hmm. and to like guide it in a way that is thoughtful i felt so bad for the patients in residency (laughs) that i did therapy with because i was just uh, no, like but you got an award time. for that. Remember, like one of if I remember in residency, you were like complimented. Know. All about I know that. is when I was with a patient, I was even like I could barely even focus on what they were saying because I was just trying to think of the a next question to ask them to fill the time <laughs> to get to an hour <laughs> <laughs> to get paid. <laughs> Not in residency. <laughs> oh, so now I think what I do is much more fitting. It's like you know the initial session is an hour but that's just like truly getting to know someone but then after that it's kind of, it's like shorter visits where it's more medication focused but mm. still knowing them and digging into their life and trying to have like a full kind of holistic care i apologize dr kohler i really i didn't give you a proper introduction for all the schooling that you have received that he paid for yes and and we because oh, i we. did i did get married to him mm-hmm, in that time mm-hmm. but dr matt kohler comes from ut austin with a degree from public relations oh. and then he went to about almost two years at weber and schwick shamwick <laughs> weber and schwick um one of his great clients was i believe an airline right yeah and then he Wait, decided Weber and Schwick? Shamwick. Weber Shanwick, it's a PR firm. Uh-huh. Oh, so okay. he, he okay. worked for two years. Um, one of a great great PR firm. If you're in PR and you're listening, you're like, ooh, okay, Matthew. Um, but then he realized he wanted to do something maybe with more tangible meaning or tangible purpose, not saying PR is not with purpose. He just decided, all right, let me go back to school and do the MCATs. So because of PR, you have to go back to regular school college again. And then you have to do like two or three more, two more years of science mm-hmm. classes yeah i took zero science classes yeah so you chose to go back to school school science is my worst subject exactly and then you did the mcat and the lsat and then you then, LSAT? Mm-hmm. like lawyer, LSAT school, liar, my, lawyer test before i took that in like 2011 oh. when i didn't really know what i was wow. gonna do <laughs> you yes. really explored all the options <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean, who just goes back and says, I'm going to be a doctor, redo college kind of. But then after that, you were accepted to UTESCA, UT Health Science Center San Antonio, mm. where we met Wanhee. Mm-hmm. And then after that, you had your residency in Baylor College of Medicine. And now we are here. <laughs> and so what made you decide on psychiatry? Oh, uh, when I went through med school... It was so it was my last rotation. Mm-hmm. I had zero insight or exposure to it at all until the very end. And then when I got to it, I realized the most debilitating illness I had seen in all of residency was not anything physical. It was the mental health illness that like you can't fix it and be okay after like a surgical procedure like a month later. Mm-hmm. It's like if you're not if you don't fix it, then like thirty years later your life is gonna be exponentially worse so it's that's like the most insidious long-term suffering someone can endure and i thought it was a very powerful thing to be a part of like that healing and i also found it interesting because it's the only field where it's prioritized to know someone's life Mm. i thought maybe you get that like family medicine i quickly realized that's not the case like it's only in psychiatry like a part of your assessment is to know as much as you can about someone and i like that i was never like a procedure guy So yeah, I was very drawn to like a field that you have to know people to do your job and to help people in a way that like decades later, it's impactful, I guess. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons I like having Wani on these types of conversations is also one of the ways he really helped as a friend is that he would ask Matt the good questions throughout med school and residency. So like I felt like I was learning stuff. And so I'm kind of excited to ask you more so about um, your year in terms of now where you are today and in this shift from becoming a resident now to a prescribing physician without a supervisor above you. Um, what these are, This is a question Wani <laughs> suggested. I just have the notes. What shifts in the psychiatry space have you noticed in this past year? <laughs> <laughs> I think the, the benchmark shifting would probably start from the pandemic because mm. that changed a lot of how people think about mental health, exposure to it, access to it even with remote stuff, and also sort of like what people are striving to get treatment for. So it opened up a lot of yeah virtual health, which I think is really good um, because a lot of people struggle with like access to care or transportation. 
so just a very practical part of care and psychiatry you can do most of the job for someone who's relatively stable remotely and then with a much greater sex, sex success to actually sex. show up <laughs> Sorry. But, whoa, whoa, whoa. but in terms what of like shifts about? i think <laughs> we've shifted into a culture of like so much emphasis the primary emphasis is on like individual success mm. so when someone isn't meeting their individual success they think something's wrong mm. so it's this idea that you everyone's striving to be like perfect and not realizing that it's normal to be imperfect mm -hmm. so that's why everyone thinks they have like adhd now and adhd assessments are through the roof adhd medications are being prescribed like super inappropriately there's all these like pop-up online just like dispensaries that'll just like give it out and those they're all gotten in trouble lately um but it is everyone thinks they have adhd like the majority of people aren't trying to like work the system and just get adderall like for fun like they think they've ahd but it's because the framework of what's normal has shifted so much because someone's like mm. oh like now i'm not laser focused all the time and working 100 percent capacity to finish every project so if i'm ever at 95 percent, like something's wrong with me and i need to tweak my brain to get from 95 to 100 mm. rather than like no a normal human being gets distracted by things like loses focus but you can still function and be productive in a way that is like normal mm -hmm. so i think the idea of what is normal has shifted along like in this country along with this idea for like individual success by any means so anything beneath success is considered failure and everyone wants to be medicated to achieve that so i think mm. that's been a big shift as well as just like exposure through social media to people's idea of some good some bad of like depression of anxiety of of all these things right everyone has viewpoints and 90 percent of them are ill-informed so i think a lot of people are inundated with ideas that are like oh do i have this am i this why do i think this way is that a wrong way so so yeah it's a combination exposure and i think like a cultural shift that has led people to seek care so it's good and bad because mm. some people need the care but some people are also seeking something that they don't need to mm. fun fact i thought i had adhd for like a solid three months <laughs> exactly for the same reasons that you were talking about right but like when you talk through that then <laughs> <laughs> when a new patient comes to you right and they say they tell you like oh i think i have adhd because like i can't focus at work or like there's all these things going on and I see all these symptoms on Instagram and you can tell like, oh, I don't know if this is actually ADHD. Like how do you walk that person through that process? So a lot of it is actually giving them what the appropriate criteria for diagnosis is. And then a lot of it is separating like symptoms versus functioning. Cause everyone I think looks at symptoms and like, Oh, I get distracted when this happens. Mm. Is that normal? But it's not about symptoms. Uh, like mental health disorders all require dysfunction. So like if you get distracted, if you lose focus, if you like hyper fixate on things sometimes, but at the end of the day, you're maintaining healthy relationships, you're turning an assignment, like you're not like, you know, ne neglecting assignments, you're engaging in your hobbies, right? You can like hold conversations, you, you get your work done, then there's no dysfunction. Mm -hmm. um, and a dysfunction, like people can define that differently. But like no one looks at functionality anymore. They look at symptoms. So they just identify symptoms that they want to go away. And like, all right, that's not how you look at it. And then we also look at like different domains. Like if you're fine everywhere, but you just can't focus when you are working from home, that's not ADHD. That's an environmental problem. You got to like, you got to tweak your environment or go to work or go to a coffee shop. Right. So, so ADHD, like for ADHD specifically requires dysfunction in multiple domains. So if it's just yeah i'm fine but in this area i can't focus on my work it's not a you problem that's an environment problem and you got to work on that question do you feel like these things became more of what you're aware of this past year or even in residency this is was your mindset about how you were diagnosing or adhd i've developed more of a skill and understanding this year because it's less focused on in in training training is more of like the other stuff I mean, the big thing now is I make decisions on my own, right? There's no safety net. So I have to like be confident what I'm doing. And I think it's actually changed. I think I, um, the bit, one of the biggest shifts that I've seen that I don't love, but it's just sort of like, I think it's like a defense mechanism almost is I'm a lot less empathetic as a working professional. 
rather than a resident. In, res- in residency, you have the affordability to like, I don't know, grieve with someone and sort of like forget about their treatment for a little because someone above you is the one who's really irresponsible for that. So the nature of my work currently is very much just like seeing patient after patient. So I kind of see in like 30 minute intervals for the most part. So even if there's like a lot of like hurt and grief, grief and like depth of what someone's talking to me about in within that time, I'm really just laser focused on how can I treat this person best? What medication makes sense? What plan makes sense? And then by the time I have all that formed, I immediately am, I have like one minute until the next patient comes. So I, I just forget about the patient. I think that's good. Like it helps me stay on track and helps me focus in a half hour at a time, but it prevents me from ever truly like sitting and thinking and just like empathizing with someone because I think I just really don't have like the practical time to, but I do wish I did. Like, I think there's a lot of value in, especially even from my own perspective, like burnout and valuing my day or right. I think there's a sense of, I feel very robotic in it. It's tough. It's definitely a major shift from residency that I miss, you know, in residency, you'll even sit down and talk to your colleagues about it. You'll talk to your attendings about certain patients and how they affected you and Hmm. uh, how like the impact they have. And so there's, there's none of that. It's, it's, it's very different now. So I think that's probably the biggest change in kind of my approach. Um, cause at the end of the day, my main role, I see it, like, I don't see it as empathizing. My main role is treating and it's very hard. I don't have the time or bandwidth to do both all the time. Yeah. And I, I think you do a good job of that in general. And so it kind of confirms how this is where you're meant to be. Yeah. I think what I should do more is process on my own, like in the evenings. And even Ooh. if it's not about a specific patient, but sometimes I, every once in a while, I'll think back and like, oh my gosh, like, I don't know if this sounds, <laughs> this might sound like conceited, but like I've changed the trajectory of a lot of people's lives in the last year, like mm. completely yeah. people who are like suicidal, people who are hopeless, people who have are in like the depth of depression or like panic attacks that are ruining their life. And then they're so much better. And I, I don't really give myself enough credit to like think back on it. Mm. And it would also be good practice to just sort of remind myself of the hurt people have and sort of like why I'm doing it, right? The why I think sometimes I get too focused in on the, just the job and, you know, doing this as a means of like provision for my family and that sort of stuff rather than, I don't know, seeing the big picture, I guess. Mm. Yeah. As a doctor, do you think it's possible to balance the empathy and the treatment at the same time in a way that's healthy for you? Like, can you get the best of both worlds? I would probably need people around me to bring that processing or conversations out of me Mm. because I don't do the type of thing on my own (laughs) (laughs) or my wife. (laughs) I know, but it's like, it's like a strength I have for everyone, not everyone, but for a lot of people besides you. But the truth is I I probably don't invite those conversations to us because to be honest, I don't, don't. I don't like want you to bring those up (laughs) because when I have time on my own, I don't really want to talk about that kind of stuff. I want to relax or work out or, but also Whatever. to credit you, there are times you do share like a brief, oh, this patient, wow, like, you know, and you don't give me details or stuff, but you do take time to, in that moment, quickly process something if it has affected you. So I do agree the effect on you has been more robotic, but also you do do your best to empathize on the back end. Once you're able to do that reflection and empathizing, does that help? You, because I, I think over the last 36 hours that we've hung out, I think you've mentioned burnout after a long day multiple times, right? Like, does that processing, reflecting, building a little bit of that empathy help you with that? I don't know. In theory. In theory. I, right? I'm yeah. not burnt out emotionally. Mm. I'm burnt out because my mind just is going nonstop for yeah. nine hours straight mm. on a busy day because I have no gaps. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, my, my burnout. Like, I think it would help because I would, like, value my time spent a little bit more. But that's also not the main cause of my mm. burnout. So it's more of like a... <laughs> it's a mental burnout. <laughs> yeah. But it's not an emotional burnout. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. I think screen fatigue is real. And that's something that post-COVID has been, like, shown in different people's, like, inability to separate work or whatnot. But also, 
you are one of the few people I know whose work is like constant back to back on yeah. the screen. So that is a, a type of burnout that I wouldn't really know because I'm just talking to Evan all day. <laughs> you know, I have an adjustable desk that I've never adjusted. <laughs> I should at least stand. Yeah. But right. Like that could change that. it up a little bit or something. Is there anything else you would want to share about your work, like in the psychiatry side before I kind of shift a little? It's it, it is interesting, and this maybe is kind of a segue, sort of the balance between like mental health and faith, because there's this sort of like obedience and turning to God that is very foundational. But then I think there's also like the science and the like real ability to like help the way people think from like a neurochemical way and from like a development of healthy techniques and ways to view themselves in the world kind of way that i mean i guess it's all related to god but it's, it's separate from like faith as a whole so yeah i think it gets a lot of stuff can get it can be both sides like it can be discounted or it can be overemphasized. but yeah i mean there's certainly so when i when i've heard pastors like discount it like in a way it's like the solution is like prayer right or is is this and I'm like, sure, but also the 30 patients I've seen this week who's now they are have an ability to like function in their lives and mm. think and feel and like spend time with their family because of like medications, right? Like that's a God-given gift too. And that's mm-hmm. like something we're supposed to use. So it's a balance that is kind of like interesting, but I think important one for people to kind of think on of realizing both are... I think tools we're supposed to use as like Christians and it's not just this like black and white thing, right? Like we wouldn't do that in any other part of medicine. And I think like we're, we're, we're treating the brain, like everything we do is as much treating the brain as it'd be like prevent like migraines, right? Like there are chemical imbalances people have like trauma. People who have been through trauma, like regions of their brain, like sizes are different Mm -hmm. and the amount of like transmitters they produce. So, like it's 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 as much of a medical field that to throw that science away just because it's like under mental health and be like no like this is the thing that's like a a spiritual thing only is mm. silly and that's like discounting i think also a tool that god has shaped and given mm-hmm. humans to to use yeah no one's saying like don't take that antibiotic just pray you know yeah. like yeah mm-hmm. yeah i've been thinking a lot about like how physical and mental health are actually kind of similar, you know, cause I think I've been thinking a lot about like what it means to be mentally healthy. And over the last year I thought, Oh, if I just fix this one thing about myself, then I'll be healthy, you know, or like, Oh, if I just get out of this funk, then I'll be healthy. But like, you know, when you're talking about physical health, you don't just work out once and then all of a sudden you're healthy, you know, and you're in shape. And I'm realizing that like mental health, is similar. You don't just fix a mysterious issue and then all of a sudden you're healthy. It's like a ongoing mental workout that you go through, you know, Mm -hmm. and some people need it more. Some people need it less, but like all of us to a degree need that like upkeep. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's like a big realization that I've been having over these last few months. So like, how do I keep myself healthy routinely? You know, not just like, oh, I need to fix myself. Mm, I'd love to ask you more on that. (laughs) We're about to get to you on here. Um, Last thing I wanted to ask you is as a psychiatrist, you know, there is a difference between that and then the therapy portion, right? And so as a psychiatrist, how has that either one affected or even enhanced, I don't know, your view of your own mental health? Um, your wife has some own thoughts, but yeah. I'd love to know your podcaster <laughs> or wife speaking right now. <laughs> Dr. Kohler, please. <laughs> I mean, I guess every once in a while I can take a step back and I can like analyze myself from a professional point of view, I guess. I mean, usually the conclusion I come to is I'm pretty fine. <laughs> Especially because you have to work with like the medication side. So you conclude you don't need medication. Is that something? Like trauma. Sure. I mean, that's a pretty like narrow scope. Would you give yourself medication? (laughs) No. I mean, it helps me self-evaluate better and more often. I mean, I think I'm in a reasonably decent place. It's like I'm uncovering Mm -hmm. like illnesses about myself that I didn't realize before. But it does help me. Honestly, I think like the the training I had as like a like the the therapy side for myself helps me more because that's more about 
like challenging, you know, how the way I grew up affects me now, how like the way I form relationships, the, the way I kind of see the world around me, being able to like be self-critical. I think that type of stuff I'm much better at now than I would have been, you know, 10 years ago or something. And I think it, it helps me in how, actually, this is a better answer. It helps me the most in how I inherently want to treat other people because I very rarely want to condemn anyone mm. now because people's like individual stories that now I realize like how much, uh, even like a one event that maybe happened 10 years ago can like dramatically shape so much about how someone is now, mm. right? So if someone has this, like unpleasantness about them or like a personality trait or you know a quote-unquote flaw i just i think i just naturally assume it comes from a very real place that i i don't understand and if i can't understand it then i can't condemn them for it i can mm. you know i can see like the things people do wrong i guess but like I, I don't see people as like good or bad as like i used to i think i think i see people as having been influenced by so many factors that i'm not in a place to kind of like condemn or judge people. So I think it takes a lot for me to like truly think badly of someone mm. because I don't think I have the right to without knowing what led them to this like mm -hmm. way that they are. Mm. And usually, right, if you ever do find out what that reason, that just leads to more empathy rather than yeah. judgment because you understand them. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So funny. <laughs> <laughs> someone who might not have yet gone to a psychiatrist yet which mm -hmm. doesn't have to be some traumatic event it could also be for things that you had just shared matt dr kohler but yeah please <laughs> <laughs> um okay <laughs> i don't have a comeback i'm curious like as you're listening to this how do you relate within your own mental health journey as everyone has one um what kind of sticks out to you and I'd love to kind of just um, point the light onto you. Yeah, that's my worst nightmare. <laughs> Getting the light pointed at me. You can either re deflect the light or... Yeah, boldly. tell me about yourself. <laughs> oh, what I'll tell you all you day. Had? I'll tell you, uh, let me start my therapy session. And then by the time it ends, I was still talking. <laughs> um, Like my reactions to yeah, what I was talking well, about? Or maybe, yeah, what what in what he said resonated with you mm. and, and why? Mm. I think... Also, nine sometimes need more time. So if you want me to have this question posed to you and then we come back to you for your answer, that's also fine because they have something called the internalized fog. So, mm, you know, I do have a lot of internalized fog. fog. Yeah, so I totally understand if you need a little bit more processing yeah. time. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I might need it. <laughs> okay, but the question... Do you have you another remember? question? <laughs> so don't forget, yeah. okay, what yeah, yeah, has yeah. resonated. Yeah. No, I don't write. Well, what about that ADHD thing that you were wanting to kind of... Oh, my ADHD. Yeah. So the biggest reason that I thought I had ADHD, there's two big reasons. Number mm -hmm. one, um, I work from home. Mm -hmm. I've worked from home for... Since 2017. After your after your first two years post-grad, yeah. you've worked from home. Yeah. Pre-COVID. Pre-COVID, yeah. So I've always worked from home. And, you know... My level of focus, you might say, has not always been the greatest. My former roommates can tell you, and they always tell me and remind me that, um, you know, maybe they come home after they finish work and I'm just like watching YouTube. And who knows how, how long I've actually been on YouTube, you know, and things like that. Or like, like when the three of us play board games mm -hmm. and you guys like to leave the TV on, <laughs> like watching The Office or like watching football or something. If I'm facing the TV, it's like a guaranteed loss for me because uh -huh. I focus more on the TV uh -huh. than the game and the same is true like when i'm at a restaurant or like pluckers or something like that you know so those were like big reasons why and then you know you come across instagram and they have these reels of like you might have adhd if you like wake up and feel anxious or like you wake up and like you look at your phone the first thing like you know little things like that and so that's why i thought i had adhd but i think mm reacting to matt's conversation mm -hmm. like, oh, oh okay processing all, <laughs> out loud <laughs> those are all symptoms you know mm -hmm. those are all symptoms that like yeah i work from home like there's no one else keeping me accountable when i'm around other people who are working it's very easy for me to focus because like i can focus like mm -hmm. i'm in that environment you know when i'm playing board games and i see the tv i just happen to like flashy things and so mm -hmm. you know i have thoughts about like different domains of my life where i can be better but mm -hmm. 
I'm like a functional human being that is like relatively healthy, you know? So I don't, yeah. yeah. Who gets promoted a lot too sometimes, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, you know. I've gotten, yeah, yeah. It's been a little while, <laughs> but yeah, I, that, that has happened to me yeah, before. Yeah. yeah, I'm like, oh, very cool for Yeah, you. thank you, yeah. yeah. I mean, it could also be like imposter syndrome in general. Oh, for sure. Right, so yeah. it's interesting to hear you. Yeah, um, I've, I've been thinking a lot about like what, what are the core reasons why I get distracted or don't end up being as productive as I want to be. And I think there is like a big, like it's a mix of imposter syndrome right. and perfectionism mm -hmm. and this main question of like, can I actually do the stuff that I'm being asked to right. do? And then like worrying that I can't, so I'm not right. going to try, you know? And, and even like, like if you have this role title, should that title role be watching YouTube, you know, which yeah, like 100%. could be a yes, that's fine. But in your <laughs> mind, it's like that should not equate. So hence something must be wrong, which yeah. is kind of exactly what Matt was saying. Yeah. Oh my gosh, Dr. Kohler. Wow. Yeah. Uh, another question you might want to ask yourself is <laughs> if you turn the TV off when we're playing games, what, what place would you get? That? <laughs> it, would, it might still be the same. He, you got, know, middle, he got middle yesterday. <laughs> yeah. He sat away from the TV <laughs> purposefully yeah and i lost my average mm. would go up slightly mm. is all i'm saying okay is all i'm saying slightly slightly, slightly. that's true but the functioning <laughs> yeah. result would still be <laughs> i've been playing a lot of board games at my place recently with some friends and i also do not win there <laughs> so oh, okay. <laughs> but i don't get last usually mm. but yeah i think there is there's a lot of kind of that like imposter syndrome perfectionism and then like it ends up making me question like who I am, you right. know, like as a worker or right. like as an employee and stuff. And like, you know, it's all stuff that like no one is like vocalizing. It's all like yeah. kind of in my head, you know? And right. so there's a lot of those kinds of realizations of like, how do I get out of that headspace, you know? Yeah. And I think that's interesting. Like we just end up defining these things for ourselves. And yeah. so whatever that might be cultural, that was like implanted in us growing up. So people have different standards of what success is and whatnot. Mm -hmm. I do have another question for you, Matt, because, you know, I'm I used to volunteer for Mustard Seed Generation, had ex-director Sharon Kim on the podcast once. And in general, Korean-Americans tend to 33 percent tend to struggle with depression and mental health problems, but they're three times less likely to seek that help. And that's just like a statistic specific to our ethnicity. But I am curious, one, what is your Asian-American? Is that too much HIPAA? I don't really know. But like, would you say it's pretty like mixed in terms of that sense? So do you notice any trends in general about that? Even then pointing back to Wanhi and something you mentioned in a offline conversation of even how we identify mm. or whatnot, um, just kind of want to pose that topic out there. So I, I, I mean, I have some Asian patients. I think what I've noticed, which might play into it, and this is a speculation, this isn't grounded on any like thing scientific I've noticed with at least the patients I have that struggle with depression or anxiety, it's a lot less external. So it's less of like the can't stop crying, like panic attacks, you know, just like this restlessness that they can't control, which I think if you have less external symptoms, A, it's less noticeable to others and you might be less prone to be like encouraged to get help. It might be less obviously debilitating, but it's a lot more of this like internalized like I am worthless. Mm. Like I can't do Ooh, these things. Snap, snap here with my clammy um, hands. <laughs> or like I'm paralyzed by like fear, insecurities, and these things. And I think that like those people, it's a lot harder for those types of people to seek help, right? Because A, other people, or people close to them aren't necessarily seeing it. And B, it's probably not even as obvious to the person. It's like a, oh, like there's something missing rather than oh no like this is actually like depressed like clinical depression kind of thing or see um, if they feel like that how could they use up that hour when they could be actually doing more towards sure. their goals yeah and and i mean it's true a lot of it comes you know people talk back to their like upbringing a lot so yeah i do think there is like a culture of keeping things internalized that just builds and builds and people don't see it people don't identify it People don't like know you in that way. They maybe see like a facade that you're able to put on in certain groups, but then it like builds and you probably get treated a lot later, which kind of goes to that statistic or not at all. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I think those numbers kind of make sense even based off what I've seen. Does that all fall into like clinical depression? Sure. I mean, yeah. Like all the stuff that you're describing about like feelings of helplessness. Yeah. Or... Yeah, yeah. That's all. Can non-psychiatrists diagnose depression? Yeah. Okay. 
So you know, like for you, you're def- you um, like one of the differentiations. Differentiations is <laughs> the <laughs> medication prescription, right? And not all people necessarily need the medication prescription right. part of it, or can also get it in different ways. What else would you recommend in addendum to yeah. medication? Yeah, so I always tell people that what medications are really good at is reigning in control of emotions that are uncontrollable. So when emotions are at a point where they are affecting your ability to just live a normal life because you just are so sad or you're so anxious or you get so easily overwhelmed that you just can't like do normal tasks, medications are very good at reining those in. What they don't do is change the actual issue that's like causing stuff, right? The mm-hmm. core symptoms. So, I mean, therapy is the 1A of treatment for like everything mental health really it's never a medication medication is always supplementary mm. Medica- i've heard it phrased in a way like medications are the point to get you well enough to engage in therapy if you're already mm. well enough to engage in therapy then maybe you don't need medications and you know that's like an overly simplified way of thinking about it but yeah at the end of the day if you're incredibly sad because your partner died i can help the sadness but i can't help you understand like process. where and process like where those emotions are coming from like how you express those behaviorally or all this stuff right you you uncover that stuff in therapy so yeah i mean i'd say therapy is almost always the first place to start unless there's a reason not to like you don't have the time or the money or something so yeah everyone needs an outlet right it's very hard to understand yourself on your own people are trained to help do that and to like guide you through ways of thinking and identifying you know stuff from your past or whatever it might be or even you know, there's like nowadays cognitive behavioral therapy is like this, like the buzz thing for everything. But it's like, oh, that's CBT. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and essentially, that's what my, my psychologist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, but it's all right. That's like essentially learning how to challenge cognitive distortions and in a way that helps you like approach things better, mm-hmm. uh, like behaviorally. So it's like a very, it's very practical. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, I mean, I encourage people just to seek an outlet. I don't think you need a therapist all the time if you have the right people around you. But sometimes people Mm -hmm. who don't know you but are trained to elicit responses and like ways of thinking, that's hard to do. Like that takes a lot of training. I'm not particularly even good at that compared to good therapists. So, So yeah, if you're struggling, if your relationships aren't helping you dig into yourself in a way like that that you need to, then Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, that's probably the place to start. So I think this is something that I mean, even you went through to a degree and I think you ended up starting your own therapy in the last year or two. So yeah, what was kind of your process <laughs> to getting started? Oh, like that? thank you for wow, this question. <laughs> tables have turned. <laughs> wow. Who's the interviewer now? <laughs> yeah, no, I think in general, it's the end of 2023 and the way certain circumstances have happened, I'm about to terminate therapy Ooh. and I'm very, yeah, I'm the emotional me and that's a good thing terminating is a good thing it (laughs) is it is the relational side you know this is someone that i have shared the deepest and darkest parts of me and my struggles for the last three years Mm. and um yeah i know even like i would ask a few of my counselor friends like what's the longest time you've had a client what's the average like how do you feel when you terminate and ultimately i wanted to hear them say like i'm sad because i'm so sad that i hope she's sad you want your therapist to be sad yeah. to be terminating you yeah, yeah like in a in an emotional way not yeah. sad because i don't i shouldn't you know she's i think sad she because believes. you're not paying her anymore yeah, probably that too <laughs> yeah that's true honestly but you know there is a part of me that has just been so thankful and i think it's also as I've shared here before, like that I've had someone fortunate enough to share so many important identities of mine, which is like faith-based Korean for me. And like, also like a mother, a wife, Um, not that she shares her personal life with me, but the fact that I just know that. So there's like an understoodness Mm. about certain things that I've had, I have struggled with. I think as I'm listening to you, Matt, too, I realized like why I needed that because at that time, you know, we had close friends, but it was almost like, a fear to share these darker feelings I was having and having her be that space was so pivotal for me in different seasons. Like it got better, but then it wasn't. And what you had mentioned too, about like uncontrollable type of emotions, which did lead me to have to also have certain medications, but that also created a baseline where I was able to really go into therapy with success, you know? Mm. And so Today, like this last year, we've we rave about how Dallas has been in life a game changer for us. 
Um, but I also think that means like the things I do have in place now are like, like supportive sisters, like accountable in the ways I need them to be accountable. It doesn't mean friends in the past were not, but it's in ways like I need to sustain and certain things like that. And so that leads to not needing my therapist. And I'm mm. so sad about that. And so I'm like preparing these, like I'm doing a wellness recovery plan to make sure I have things in place because as we terminate, I just like need to do the reflections. Like what are my triggers? What are certain things that are the beliefs I carry? And so, yeah, I mean, I'm just sad. And we should send her a Christmas card. I don't know how People much. People do that. A oh, Christmas card. That's true. Yeah. I could do crap that. Mm. I was thinking about sending her a present, but I wasn't sure if like you can receive you can, monetary things. But it's like things. a, it's like a fine line, right? Christmas card's probably fine. I, that's true. I can send her a Christmas. Oh, good idea. When we're in Clear Lake, I want to go see her. <laughs> she said I could, because I mean, therapists. No, I mean, you see therapists in person yeah. as a mom, and one of the things I'm so grateful for about what like virtual therapy is that I have been able to see her virtually for three years, but I've never seen her in person. Mm. But yeah, like she supported like a lot of faith sides where you mentioned earlier, even like what that, that tension between faith and science of mental health. And like, I think she did this beautiful job of marrying those two, understanding my values, approaching first holistically, but also understanding when I did need a science neuro approach. Hmm. Now that it's been three years and you're coming to the end of this journey, I feel like there's this perception that like you go to therapy and you just get your problems fixed and you're like good to go, right? Mm -hmm. Like kind of like what I was talking about before. Mm -hmm. But as someone who's coming to the end of this stint and hopefully, you know, last stint of therapy, mm -hmm. what do you think the journey has been like for you? Right? Oh. Like, like where, at what point do you feel like, oh, this is like working really well, you know? Mm. Like, do you feel like you saw a point where like, oh, mm -hmm. things are turning for the better and this is actually working? I think it was like one really going to her for all of my like crazy things like mm. that. I was like, this is weird. Why would I like, I feel like a bad person for thinking this way about someone or I can't believe I would feel this way about myself when I've had a decent childhood or mm. an upbringing. Like how dare I like shame based things that I felt. And so one being able to go to her for those things and then even like bringing Matt to some sessions when we've had to, like that was always a huge part of my personal stories. And so she knew me as a person, right? Which is like the beauty of therapy. It's like she took that time to get to know me. And then I think it was honestly this year because when we first moved to Dallas, we were like still really bad mm. and life was still really, really hard. And it still is. But um, one of the things like shifters was even like her knowing like what I needed. I was looking for a mentor and so like celebrating when I did find that in real life you know like mm. not that she's not real life but like in accessible time here where I live right and then knowing I needed like I needed some like books for myself she recommended one she knew would be good for me and then she also said hey why don't you do a book club because you mm. need social support that's super important to you let's ideate like who that could be or whatnot and so then like that then shout out to that group, right? Like that's more in person now. Like this is somebody I know, like when I struggle and my minds could take me somewhere about marriage or whatnot or child, like motherhood or whatever, like I can go to certain places, like certain friendships and know that like that will be a place where I will be faced with the responses I almost need to get myself back into gear and whatnot. Mm. And then, yeah, like lastly, just I don't have a lastly. I just thought it would sound smart to say lastly. You um, sounded smart. I did. It would have sound smarter know, if you had but something. But the inability <laughs> to lie, <laughs> to mm. fake it. Yeah, she's, she's a good therapist. I would never think of like offering those suggestions. To yeah, and there was one <laughs> time, you know, like for that me. The, that was the worst. For me, I, that belief carried into my walk with the Lord, right? If we're yeah. talking through faith and like, I felt ashamed to go to God, right? Yeah. And in that time when I couldn't muster up the words even, there was one session where she created like a page of verses and that I could like speak to my, and I was like, oh my gosh, you know? And like, I'm sure she does something different with each client she has, but like that was what I needed because at that point I couldn't do that myself. And mm. now I'm at a place where I can do that myself, which also shows, right, where I am and we can terminate and be celebrating that. Um, mm. I think those are things that like, she has been that year that I've also not been able to share with others. And so super grateful for that. Mm. And yeah. Hmm. That's awesome. The reason I asked the question mm -hmm. is because I know this is something I've thought about mm -hmm. for myself a lot is like, 
I don't want to think of myself as like someone who needs to go to therapy. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. I know. And I think that's like a conception that a lot of people yeah. have of like, yeah. I don't want to admit that I'm mm-hmm. like broken or like mm-hmm. that I need help. And so like when there's this feeling of like, okay, like I'm just going to go and figure out like what the root cause is and like and then, get a solution to that root cause mm-hmm. and then I'll be fine, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was reading this book lord gottlieb or something like that and she was saying that like therapy is not about finding that solution it's like it goes deeper than that it's like recognizing that like oh i'm not mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. you know i i am a broken person and i need help and mm-hmm. like it's about going through that process and like building yourself up and like finding the skills to like put yourself in a better place you mm-hmm. know and yeah. not just like oh, my life sucks because of X. Let yeah. me solve X, yeah. you know? And I that's agree. how I felt because I would want to bring Matt into therapy or c- sessions with me. And, but, oh, this is this is going to be the life-changing one yeah. here. And then I would yeah. leave feeling disappointed because a lot of it was marriage-based too, right? Yeah. I think I felt that because she never like took my side, which like, I think it's important to find sisters that will take your side and like be there for you. And maybe there are certain things that are happening, but also she would always challenge me what can I change? What is it on my end versus him? And I think that along with shameless plug, like being really into the Enneagram, mm-hmm. like I have worked to like try to understand Matt more. What is it like? What is a nine like? Or, but also what is Matt like that I can't understand? And like, why am I grateful for Matt in different ways? And mm. Matt's just the example I'm using. Cause I've shared that before, but I think that was helpful was that she really, I knew she was on my side, but by being on my side doesn't mean not making sure I knew how I could show up in the marriage when I didn't want to. In that, I've also now been able to find that in real people, not real people, but you know, like in my community. Like in your own personal life. Yeah. And that's because I also frame it differently too versus before, even as I would frame it, it would just be to have someone empathize with me because like I I, I like, yeah. But sorry, you were going to say something. I cut you off, Dr. Kohler. No, I mean, I just, I agree very strongly. It's like a really hard thing to recognize because they are like, can feel so similar. Yeah, I think so many people are seeking to fix the thing that's causing them distress mm-hmm. rather than asking the question of what is it about me that reacts in this way that brings out that distress, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, mental health, it's all about a change in your own response or perception or like the emotions that come out of you or or the way you respond but it's like it's a you thing environmental stuff like impacts it and it brings it out but the question is how do i change what it brings out not how do i change yeah yeah Um, yeah yeah. because that's sustainable right Mm because if that is removed a year later you might encounter something else that brings out so what's sustainable is it's the you part yeah um which I think is also a very like Western centric way of thinking of the, it's not a me thing. Like I'm me and and the me is exactly how I should be. Yeah. Right. It's, it's not much self reflection or self betterment. It's the, how do I modify the environment Mm. to, if I had more money, if I lived in a nicer house. Yeah. So I think that's, we, we probably think about all that a lot differently here than other places in the world too. I, I've been realizing a lot, like kind of like through this conversation, just like reflections I've been having, I think like bringing it to like the faith part a little bit too, mm-hmm. is like part of like that first step in the gospel is like, I am a sinner, <laughs> like mm-hmm. I'm a broken person and it's admitting that you're a broken person. And that's how we come to like accept the grace, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and like, yeah, I can't solve my issues by myself. No matter how hard I try on my own, no matter how hard I try to be like perfect and good, I'm going to like fall short, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think for uh, like the three of us, like faith is a big part of like Mm -hmm. how we think about the world, how we think about what causes us stress Mm -hmm. and pain. And I realized like, kind of like through these conversations, it's like, yeah, part of getting healthier mentally is also like acknowledging that like, yeah, I am kind of messed up, Mm -hmm. you know, from this world, like my past experiences, even Mm -hmm. if like my past experiences were fine, like I am kind Mm -hmm. of a broken person. Mm -hmm. So like, how do I seek out that healing yeah. through what God has like in store for me, yeah. you know, and trying to look for that rather than like, I can push through, you know, yeah. I can like grip my teeth and like, if I try hard enough, I can like bury the pain, you know? Yeah. yeah. One of the things I have to prepare for tomorrow, my last session is like a wellness recovery plan. Which, some of the questions and I'm realizing this is what's going to sustain me. It's, it is therapy, but it's also like asking myself, like in my experience, these are things that support me. And then asking myself, like, um, how can I help myself sustain that? Like, what is my maintenance plan? 
what are triggers that start to make me think of mm. unhelpful thoughts? And I think that was important because like, like you were saying earlier, which you said about Asian Americans, Matt, in general, but in general, the beliefs for me is like the not good enough or the failure, or the disposable. And while it could be in settings within marriage, it could also be as simple as like, oh, I wasn't invited to something for me as like a oh, social too. That's such a huge trigger for me. Yeah, right. Yeah. And it, it sounds so, so yeah, it's yeah. So I bad. mean, we, social subtypes. <laughs> it's so bad <laughs> because like it, it kind of like it makes me like oh, and it could be something I even know I wouldn't really. I I, I do not want to go to some of these things, yes, but I want to be invited. Exactly, and mm. that then that the belief is like oh, I'm disposable or I'm not mm. something, right? And so like that belief is so, it affects me so much. And so when that happens, like being aware of it and then I'm still kind of working on like, what can I do to then say doesn't matter, you know, or whatnot. And like what that reaction is then, because I could be like, well, you suck. You know, that's also not the correct <laughs> response. But like, what does that look like? And then how does how do I keep moving forward? That's helpful, the triggers portion. Mm. And then the early warning signs. I feel like that was something, Matt, you recently did with me because, you know, there have been times where I get like uncontrollably sad, right? Or like, mm. I don't even know what those emotions, how to handle those because I didn't really experience those till post I'd say marriage, which is why maybe I inadvertently saw the marriage as a problem or whatnot, you know, when that's also not the case. But recently when I did have certain struggles, I think Matt noticed that I like curled up in on the couch with a blanket and got really sad. And it's like, mm. I knew it was happening too, but he saw that too. And that's when he like spoke some love into me. And I think that's important, whether it's me understanding early warning signs, but also talking through it with loved ones like what do you notice shifts with me when something happens and like understanding that i think is a good processing thought mm. um so those are just kind of things i um realize and then yeah like i'm excited because i feel like not only is my therapy journey ending but she's equipping me with certain things to fall back on this community that i have and on myself because i am strong as well and our marriage is in a great place as well so yeah and these are all things that you would not have realized about yourself without going through therapy i think i would have had these thoughts mm -hmm. i wouldn't know how to structurally navigate it mm. and so i think what therapy has done for me is verbalize it to someone rather than in my head mm. and then with that here like why do you feel this way you shouldn't think that about yourself or what, whatever like things like that and then now i can just like xyz before it was like all the alphabet jumbled together so i don't know how to piece it together but now it's like oh i know this belief i know this belief means don't go there mm -hmm. because before like when you were saying like mechanism cbt maybe it was like i catastrophize everything and i mm. hate that word when she like would mention it i'm like mm. i don't i like that word i use that a lot with people <laughs> But yeah, catastrophize off. Yeah, but it's, it's, I mean, catastrophe. It sounds like such a big word, you know. But I realize that's what I do, and so when I see a trigger early on, now I can like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, I might not overcome it in the moment, but at least that whoa stops me from the rabbit hole of darkness I went through. Because mm -hmm. I would say I was very reflective always. Yeah. But therapy is helping me navigate that reflectiveness because I am not in a place of health. I wasn't in a place of health to do that on my own. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I will say like, we haven't talked too much about sort of the Christian side of this, mm -hmm. but like there is like a, a thing that a Christian can access. That's like just, that's like pretty remarkable. Right. That right. does cover. So I, I mean, so I, I hate when people are like, well, you shouldn't be sad. Like, yeah, always yeah. find your joy in Jesus. So yeah. like, if you're sad, just think of Jesus and find your joy. It's like, that's stupid. Like that, that's, that's not it's how people work. It's insensitive. That's not how humans work. But what there is, is if you are stuck in sadness, like at some point you can remind yourself mm. that there's an outcome where you're not sad. And at some point that transforms, I think someone into getting out of their sadness because there's a hope, right? There's a finality of like everlasting mm. joy of eternal life of like protection of a god who sort of like knows your future and knows you i think there is like this yeah this idea we can access that like does bring a sense of peace and comfort that nothing else can but what it also isn't is this like light switch of like yeah all right 
happy because Jesus, because I believe in Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so yeah, it's it's like there's multiple parts, but it's hard for me to imagine because you know the majority of people I see. I mean, I guess the majority, you know, a large number are not Christians. And it does make me sad just like thinking, man, if they did know Jesus and believe in him, then like there is this thing that they could have that Mm -hmm. like is a game changer. So that connection to God, you know, I don't discount it. Like that's probably still the most important thing. But there's just such a part of the process that mental health care can be yeah a part of that is like a, a good thing like yeah. a, a faithful thing even yeah did you want to share anything on your own therapy journey my own therapy journey <laughs> yeah um had a few sessions under your belt right i do have a few <laughs> sessions under my belt it's been an interesting experience i think i started it about a year ago now mm-hmm. um but it's been on and off a lot and i think what I, as I've been listening, I'm like, ooh, I don't know if my relationship with my therapist is like this. I, I was sharing this a little bit with them yesterday, but and I don't think he's ever going to listen to this. So, <laughs> you know, if you're out there, I'm sorry. <laughs> we'll put you on as Wong. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he's like a cool guy, fun to hang out with him, but he's not like the type to like really engage kind of mm. that level, you know? And so, I don't know, I've, I've kind of been thinking recently about like what it, it's like to maybe I should look for a new one. Maybe I should find someone who can like kind of speak to more of the things that you were kind of talking about. Yeah. Mm. I think there were topics we've covered right. in our sessions include like him doing Legos with his son mm. <laughs> him playing bass, um, yeah. like things like that, like, which is great. Right. I yeah, think he yeah. shares these stories with a point to like get across relate today to relate. Yeah. But I'm realizing like, I don't know if that's like how I relate. Yeah. Um, there, you know, there have been a few good sessions where I just like vent everything. Mm-hmm which is really good. It's a process. It's a journey. Yeah. 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 I think it's a, it's a big blocker. I don't know how to like convey my thoughts, right? Like classic mm. nine, like <laughs> the fog is real, you know? And so even if I do go to therapy, sometimes I wonder like, what am I even supposed to say when I'm here? You know? So mm. I think having someone who can draw those things out of me is right. going to be like super important for right. whoever I do end up working with. So as nines, I feel like in general, there is this falling asleep to passions or falling asleep to yourself in different ways. I feel like both of you have had an, an awareness to mental health. So what does that mean for you guys in 2024? Or if that's too broad, then maybe ask. to say like, <laughs> what are your triggers? Like a, a mm. question to reflect for like tangible self-awareness. Like what are your triggers as nines who might easily suppress mm. triggers matt you can only say one thing about me okay <laughs> <laughs> no I think, make it not be hurtful <laughs> no my my trigger is when i you know in my own limited viewpoint i see a scenario that i deem unfair mm. so like and for, so for me if we do want to do like the marriage uh, part the of it justice, if i if i the desire if for i judge. see if i see a reaction yeah. from you towards me mm-hmm. that i can take a step back in my again in my own limited viewpoint like think about and i cannot come to a conclusion where i feel like it was deserved that's a big trigger point and it completely affects the way i respond and interact with you (laughs) but so that's that's a that's a narrow example but that goes broadly right if i'm out around other people even in sports like in every aspect of my life i don't care if people do things that i don't like or that like i don't necessarily line up with but if i if i see a situation where someone is like reacting responding in a way that is undeserved it elicits like this strong emotional response from me that otherwise i don't have strong emotions right. like that's one of the few things that does mm. so for me that that's a trigger point and so when i feel that directed at me here's an example in a very like less serious way um if someone like is playing a sport with me i think i've brought this up before yeah if someone's playing a sport with me and they are conducting themselves in a, a way on the court and not not like um like behavior wise but even like you think you're better than you are yeah like they're trying to play <laughs> they're trying to play a sport in a way that like stay in they're your un- lane they're incapable of but they don't see it so in a sense they're like doing this injustice of trying to do something that's like hurting like if they're on my team, that's like hurting our team because they refuse to acknowledge that what they're doing is like out of their skill set. It makes me very upset. But 
if someone who's bad, like let's say I'm playing basketball with someone, if I pass to someone who's bad, they're open for a three, they shoot the three, and they like miss it, I don't get mad at them. I'll keep shooting it. Like this is what you're doing. Like you're yeah. there. You're like this is your role. You're out here. But so yeah, so that's like a. But my they were like, but if, give me the ball. Give yeah, me the ball. If they were like ball. demanding the ball or yeah. just like dribbling up the court and just like jacking up a three and. If they're good, go for it. If it's within your skill set. But yeah. if you're not, like that's annoying. <laughs> that yeah. makes me upset. Mm. So the the whole range of spectrum, when I see something that I deem like a unfair representation of someone like imparting something from themselves onto someone else when it's undeserved or unwarranted, that makes me mad. Mm. Yeah. That's <laughs> so funny how you just like explain the gut triad and the desire for justice because that's in the eight nine and one mm. in such a simple <laughs> way <laughs> okay, what about you what's a trigger oh man this is something i've been thinking about a lot i think a big trigger for me is the feeling of well any action that leads me to feeling like excluded mm-hmm. you know so like mm-hmm. not being invited mm-hmm. like even if it's like not a friend group that I'm a part of, mm-hmm. not something that I'm like particularly mm-hmm. interested in doing, but like I know people there. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. I wish I was there. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I wish they thought of me. When I'm hanging out at home mm-hmm. on a weekend, I'm like, well, I have no plans today. No one's saying anything to me. <laughs> <laughs> Am I like, do I have friends? Like th- those kinds of things. It's like very easy to me for me to go down and like, yeah, it leads to a lot of those feelings of like, am I wanted? Like, do people even like think about me? You know, and like, oh, the presence matters. Yeah. Oh, like, oh. <laughs> core, <laughs> you know, core and like, motivation. it's like one of those things where it's like such a like I don't like giving into those thoughts because yeah. like obviously like people care. Like, yeah, I know people care, and like I have really good relationships with people, but like, yeah, do I? Yeah. Yeah, do I fall into the category of people that get thought about? Right. You know. Right, right. Yeah. So. No, I appreciate that. And it's then you can, if you have that, then you know where that comes from. And then you can speak the opposite back into yourself or like the truth back into yourself or find a better way. But I don't know the yeah, better way. Who knows? This is why I need to go therapy. <laughs> <laughs> this is what therapy in 2024 is for. I was curious for. for you, Matt, when you were talking about your like examples, what is the belief that comes out of it? I don't understand the question. <laughs> no, because like, right, with a trigger, what's a belief or with a trigger, like what does that lead to with like the uncomfortable thoughts in yourself? Is uh, there an example of that? I mean, I guess it's, this isn't deserved. Mm, so, like okay. if, it's not, if it's not deserved, yeah. then it's don't on you. It. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah, you shouldn't do that. Yeah, yeah. But if it, interesting, we'll talk about it another time because I really have to pee. <laughs> okay, well, is there anything else you guys want to say? Well, as a nine, you know, if you need to pee, I'm not going to make you stay here. <laughs> so that was the end of that conversation. <laughs> okay, kidding. because I did want to end it with, you know, like as we talk through this, what is a 2024 goal we would share here? Could be anything. Anything, if possible, relate to this broad topic. Not like, I want a six APEC again. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that was literally that. <laughs> My goal for 2024 is to be as fit as I was in 2022. That would be my mm. personal Just goal. Just said not to say eight-pack, <laughs> but... Because um, I'm far from it. I don't know, a mental health or like a personal... Yeah, a like personal... Betterness-related mm-hmm. goal. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would probably be goals regarding me and you, like husband, marital goals, just like as you-minded of a way that I can like possibly be, I guess, right? Because there's sometimes where it's like hard because there are like a trigger or whatever mm-hmm. but right i think like it's the one relationship where i should you know lay down myself or whatever for the sake of you and i think there's a lot of times where like i can do that even if i'm like really not feeling like it's deserved right it's one mm-hmm. time where i can i should i should counter the feeling of injustice mm-hmm. if i'm feeling in the moment for the sake of you mm-hmm. um that would probably be my call in that sense Mm. Goals are usually like measurable. That's not very broad, but okay, Mr. I don't know how to measure that. (laughs) All right, all right. My measurable goal is the fitness one. Okay, okay. (laughs) that's very measurable. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I think for me, I think I this is not measurable. (laughs) So, uh, but I I I think the word that I was thinking was like be more resilient. You know, Mm, like all like our marriage. Huh? I said, oh, like our marriage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you were saying I shared, that earlier. Earlier, I was talking with Ingie about y'all's marriage. And like, I, I was telling her, like, I think the biggest lesson that I've learned from you guys, I, I feel like I learn a lot of di- different things from different couples. But the biggest thing I've learned from you guys is like resilience. You guys have gone through a lot. 
and like you you've stuck it through and like you guys are in a healthier place for it you know it's like the resilience of yeah things are hard like things are tough i was <laughs> a village meeting recently and i was sharing like i don't like effort <laughs> i don't like trying you know like it's just hard to try um but like that's such a even as i say that that's like oh God, it's like ugh. you know and so like the resilience of like when i am going through hard stuff or like i need to do hard stuff not to just like fold over but like what's the verb of resilience like <laughs> like persevere persevere, persevere yeah through it so i think that's like what i want 24 to be more of mm. resilience yeah mm. how about yourself Ooh. <laughs> whoa i wasn't <laughs> expecting that um i think for me this year will be the first year where there will be more hours to myself as we prepare to send evan to daycare that comes with a lot of mom guilt in so many ways that i don't need to say here but i think that also comes with an opportunity to reclaim parts of me that i have felt lost or in the blur in the last three years mm. and so i think even if i think about big picture therapy ending and now it's this new season or new chapter um, my goal is that i would put these things into practice and that I don't know if it's a resolution, but I think, yeah, do things with my time. So for me, that does look like, I guess, six pack, but not really like do things like exercising, put certain self-care things like put on sunscreen. Oh, 2024 goal is put on sunscreen. Yeah, neither of you guys put on sunscreen, yeah. huh? Yeah. I was, so literally earlier today, I looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, wrinkles, man, like, <laughs> my face. Yeah. When you put like, sunscreen struggling okay never mind 2024 put on sunscreen because you know even that like at least for me the sunscreen era happened once i had kids like well, oh my gosh you put on sunscreen but i was like by then i was like i don't have time to put on sunscreen but i have time what do you mean you don't have time to like put on my sunscreen. mind that's how my mind works i'm less like, about sunscreen I, I i wouldn't mind dabbling in an overall care routine care? that'll just like uh re do your wrinkles re, re we should go back to korea that, that'll youthfulize I was going to say euthanize. <laughs> That's, not, <laughs> That's right. not the word. Youthful euthanize. Um, euthanize Euthanize? Uh -huh. It's like to like put down your dog, like euthanize your dog. Oh, sorry, I didn't go to <laughs> rice or med school. <laughs> Pretty sure you two people know that term. Yeah. But my goal is to, yeah, just like Enneagram coaching. I think that's my goal. Mm. Like I've been doing that on the side, but I'm going to like grow that as I work on my part-time job, but then also grow the business and put myself out there yeah, in those girl. ways. Yeah, girl. Put yourself out there. Um, speaking of, stay tuned next week. There will be a release of some New Year, New You Ooh. Enneagram discount packages. Discount. That's right. If you're worried about where to start in your processing journey, I am not at all a certified anything in counseling. <laughs> but the Enneagram does allow you to go deep into your soul. Because mm -hmm. you are a certified Enneagram. I, sh I sure am a certified Ooh. Enneagram coach and I have done quite a lot and i will walk you through your own journey and let me just tell you one of my clients who do the five package deal renewed for 20 sessions 20 let that sessions. speak for itself <laughs> 20 sessions that's so, four I didn't times even know that. you never told me that i did tell you that oh i don't think so i did but we'll talk about that one he's getting this always let's end it on a good note one he it's been fun to have you over this is a lot of fun yeah yeah and so if you come every few months we can have a podcast in person Ooh. with my three mics oh this is great <laughs> it's upgraded yeah any last words, boys? Mm. My Enneagram Niners? Yeah. Thank you for having me on for your 50th I know. Podcast. It's a special. Wow. It's I'm a special. very honored. Congratulations. You know. Thank you for listening to another episode of Caller Commentary. Bye. Say bye. <laughs> oh, bye. Am I in that too? Bye. <laughs>